So in the churches that I grew up in, uh, we had, there was a, a tradition, uh, and, and some of you may know of that, that tradition. At the end of every service, there was what they called the call to discipleship. Every single service, so the message would go forth and all that, and then the preacher would no- normally step down to the front, something like this, and the, the choir would pl- uh, sing in the background, something like, oh, come, come on to Christ. And, and the lights would dim, and, and, the, and, and the pastor would st- stand before you with his hands out, and then the deacons would go up and down the rows and the aisles in, in a fashion something like this, you know. And he'd say something to the effect of, come and give the preacher your hand and give the Lord your heart. And then someone would answer this call after you usually drug out for some time as the pastor would try to coax someone out of their seats to come make this decision for Christ. And then someone would, of course, have to answer because the pastor wouldn't sit down until it did happen. (laughs) Someone would come up and give the pastor their hands and the Lord their heart. And so at that time, they would pray, repeat after the pastor in this prayer, and then the pastor would usually say some words like this, welcome to the family of faith. This is the call to discipleship that I was accustomed to, that some of us here may also be accustomed to. But this is very different from the call to discipleship that we see in the text. So if you will, please turn with me to our text today. Mark chapter 8. We're beginning at verse 34. Say amen if you have it. Say wait a minute if you need a minute. All right, we are there. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father, which is with the holy angels. 9 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is a very different call to discipleship than what I just explained here, that what I saw growing up. Christ isn't asking you to just repeat some idle words. 
He's not asking you just to give the pastor your hand and the Lord your heart and then to walk out the door unchanged and being the same person that you were before. He's asking for something far greater than some idle commitment. He's asking for something far greater than just repeating some words after someone. In our text today, just to put it into context, this, is followed, this, this follows as Peter has just proclaimed that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of the living God. And then says to Peter and the, and the disciples that I am going to have to go and suffer and die. And Peter says, hold on, brother, let, let me talk to you. And, and he pulls him to the side and says, no, no, we, that, that's not how we roll. You, I just told you, you're the son of God. Therefore, you, you, you're not going and suffering and dying. That, that's not happening. And then, and then, of course, Jesus responds with a rebuke to Peter and calls Peter the devil. I said, whoa, I, I saw that in the scriptures. Whoa, he's the devil all of a sudden. This is Peter. Peter's my boy. But he says, the reason why he is of a devil likeness is because he, is not have, he does not have his mind in tune with the kingdom, but he's still connected to this world. And he's now trying to take the awesome power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and harness him and box him up into some worldly concept. There's no way that as awesome as you are and as I have been following you as this coming king that you are going to suffer and die because then that has some implications on my life that I'm not so comfortable with. Because if you're the coming kingdom, the coming king, and you're about to have a kingdom, that means I'm going to be in the inner court. That means I'm going to be sitting there right there at your right hand, and as you come up, I'm coming up with you. But now you're talking about some suffering and dying. Hold on a second. That doesn't compute in my mind. I can't harness that. I can't follow you there, Jesus. And so after he rebukes Peter, he turns around into our text and he calls the whole crowd because he understands, like all of us understand, who's ever been in a class before, that when one person has a question, there's probably more than one person in that classroom that has that same question. And so he understands that this thought process is probably very, very much in the minds of a lot of the people there. So he says, come on, gather around me. Let me tell you what, it, what, what it's like to follow me. And so he says, in order to follow me, to come after me, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Deny yourself. It's very easy for us to deny other people. It's very easy. I can say no all day. You know, I'm a new father, so I'm getting used to saying no. <laughs> I can say no all day to all these outside forces, but how do you say no to yourself? How do you deny yourself that extra piece of cake? How do you deny yourself uh, that extra uh, few minutes of sleep? 
How do you deny yourself those things that you know are so easily besetting you in your life? How do you say no to you? It's one thing to have these forces on the outside that we can lock the door, we can put up our, our, our security system, and we can keep some certain things out. But what happens when the enemy is you? How do you deny yourself? What are you talking about, Jesus? And then he, may, he doesn't make it any easier. So, so you would think that he'd be kind of paralleling what, what this pastor would do and make it very easy. Just come up and pray this prayer, right? But he makes it even more difficult because then he says, now you have to take up a cross. Take up a cross? Now, now let's, let's pause here a minute and let's talk about this cross thing. Because a lot of people, we look at this cross, we, we have people who, 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 they're tatted up with crosses. You know, they've got them hanging around their neck. You know, there, there are crosses all over the place. And I don't think we truly understand the magnitude of what it meant to see a, cr a cross in the first century. The cross was not a, a decorative ornament. No more than if we put a picture up of the electric chair or the gas chamber, or Auschwitz, or any of these instruments of torture and death that exist in our frame of mind. So this, this picture of a cross is not something that, that, that is as small as some people would make it out to be. We, 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 we use the term like, well, this person is a cross to me. Really? Well, this situation is a cross to me. Really? Because in the first century, the understanding of the cross was an instrument of torture and death. So the people that, that's hearing this message, they have a very real understanding and connection to what it means to see a cross, to see someone carrying a cross through the streets. Because this was an instrument of torture designed by the Romans. And it wasn't something that was pretty. This wasn't a pretty easy death, and it wasn't designed to be. The Romans designed this so it would be a shock and awe. That when people saw this person dying on the cross, that they would know, don't mess with the Romans. And so Jesus is saying to us, that first of all, we have to say no to ourselves. All of those earthly and worldly desires that we come into the world with, seeking fame and fortune and all those things that the world tells us that we're supposed to be after. I've got to get rich. I've got to get my name in lights. I've got to be somebody. And the Lord says, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to give that up. You've got to say no to those things. And then after saying no to those things, then you have to pick up an instrument of torture and death. That sounds very different than just repeating some idle words. It's interesting that there's a 
a, a complete dichotomy here that you, you, you have a bunch of people in churches today that are saying all you need to do to be a disciple of Christ is repeat a few words and welcome to the family. And said, no, 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 it's not that easy. Where's your cross? Where's your cross? Where are those things, the, the, the fruit in your life of denying yourself on a daily basis? Or are you just continuing to indulge yourself? And like Peter did, you want to just try to harness Jesus and pull him into your world and just use him as you see fit as you continue to go about the business of seeking the fame and fortune in your name and lights that the world tells you that you're supposed to be seeking. I tell you today, Jesus is way, way too powerful and too big for your box. He's way too big and way too powerful for you to just come along and skipping happy, go, go lucky through life, following after your own course. He said, this life is tough. Narrow be the way. So there's a broad way that everybody else is on that's pretty easy to get on and stay on because it's all about seeking the desires of your flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Oh, I, oh that looks good. Let me do that. Oh, that looks like it's going to taste good. Let me try that. Let me go wherever my desire takes me, and then I'll just uh, kind of grab Jesus when I need him and bring him along on some of these uh, journeys with me. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus that we serve. He requires a total and complete commitment. A commitment that changes your life. Totally and completely. I remember when I was a, a young man and I went into the United States Army basic combat training, better known as boot camp. I remember as I started that journey, I was a certain kind of young man. But by the time I made it to the other side of that journey, I was a different man. I walked differently. I talked differently. I carried myself with a whole different kind of demeanor because the United States Army changed me. They didn't treat, try to teach me how to play the part of a soldier, how to put it on and pick it up when I, when it, when I need it, and then put it down when I don't. They changed me completely. I was a soldier 24-7. I couldn't turn it off. I've been out of the military now for uh, seven, eight years, and I'm still trying to turn it off. <laughs> and I can't. It's a part of my DNA. And that's what the Lord requires. He requires that you be changed down to the cellular level. This is a narrow way. And Jesus in this text, he, he's spelling out the door, <laughs> the gate to this narrow way. He's saying, even for the few that find it, and then when you find it, here's, how, here's what you must do to get through. Here's the price of admission. The price of admission to get through onto the narrow way and to follow me is to deny yourself, 
put off all those worldly ambitions, take that false monarch of self off the throne, and put the true risen Savior and King on the throne of your life. And have him direct and guide your desires, your passions. Everything is about glorifying him. And when you come to a place, when you've denied yourself, and you've taken up your cross, and you've followed after the Lord, then you have nothing to fear, because I'm a dead man walking. You can't threaten me with anything. So the worst threat they got is to take my life, but I'm already dead, brother. Because the life that I'm living now is in Christ. And the life that you see here has been dead and gone and passed away a long time ago. So I'm a dead man walking, my brother. So you got to come better than that. I'm not moving like we saw in the text earlier, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't have to move because I'm already dead. What are you going to do? Throw me in the fiery furnace. Okay. I don't have to fear anything. I have nothing to prove to anyone. I have nothing to gain in this life. Because all I am now is a servant of the risen Savior. But if you have not come through that gate, denying yourself, taking up that instrument of your very own death, the symbol of giving it all, not a part of it, not playing these, well, uh, let me see. I, I guess I'll give, a, I'll give a couple pennies. I'll throw a couple pennies at him. Oh, man, that might not do. Let me throw a few, few dollars at him. Uh, that, that might not do. Well, here's the best I got, and you're holding some back for yourself. No, no, no. He says, I want your whole entire life. text goes on to say for, for whom, whomso, whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospels will save it. So what we're looking at here is not a it, he's, he's talking about the life that you live as you're connected to your flesh in that fallen state In that fallen state, if you're trying to hold on to that uh, 60, 70, 80 years, 90 years, however long the Lord graciously gives you on this planet so that you can go and, and follow after all your appetites and desires, if that's the life that you're trying to hold on to, you will lose it. And the life that you're, you're losing, that you're trading in for that 60, 70, 80, 90 years of following your own passions and desires is a life of eternity doesn't sound like a very good trade-off to me. I'm trading 60 years of happiness and bliss, if you call it that, for an eternity before the risen king. In my world, we do what's called a risk assessment or a cost-benefits analysis. And so if we put eternity on one side of this equation 
and we put 60, 70, 80 years on this side of the equation, that's a bad investment in that 60 years. I think we should be investing in eternity. So who, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? There it is very plainly. And this isn't, of course, talking about gaining the world like you own the whole world. As we know, that's not possible. What, we're, what he's talking about here by gaining the world is gaining the approval, the acceptance. You're one of us. The accolades and the respect of the world. That's what we all want, right? We want the world to know who we are. We want to walk into some place and say, do you know who I am? How dare you treat me like that? Do you know who I am? I have the respect of the world. I'm famous. You, you don't know who I am? You better check yourself. That's, that's what the world gears us to. We want to be one of those people. That's why that, that, that crazy so-called celebrity that I won't even give the, 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 the right of naming them right now, but, but they have this great following of fans because they, they sought after being somebody. And all these people are following them on Twitter and Facebook, and they've got the reality shows and stuff because now they have the adoration and the respect of the world. Is that enough of a price for your eternal soul? There was, uh, of course, uh, I think it was, it's been a few years now when uh, Robin Williams, uh, the great comedian who had harnessed everything that the world had to offer. He had fame. He had fortune. He had, uh, according to his own uh, biography, he had taken all the best drugs that there was out there. He would experienced the best highs that there ever was. He had been around the best women that, that, that the world had to offer. He would had it all in life. Fame, fortune, the access to anything and any, anywhere he wanted to go. But yet he checked out of this life. Because at the end of that road of seeking after the affections of this world, you'll find out that everything that glitters isn't gold. That just because it looks good, just because everyone else is chasing after it, doesn't make it the real thing. There is only one real thing, my friend, and that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Our suffering Savior who went to the cross and died. Not for himself, because he didn't owe death anything. He walked a life that was perfect and blameless. So that he could go to a cross, hang, bleed, and die for you and I. To call you and I out of our muck, out of our mire, out of our appetites 
for all this junk in the world and clean us up and bring us into his own family. Awesome. We don't deserve to be a part of God's family. We don't deserve the multiple chances that he gives us to get this thing right. That the very thing that we deserve is the, the, the death that he took on the cross. But we're given chance after chance after chance to get this right. So I pray that today, as you're hearing these words, that you get this right. That if you've fallen prey to that system of believism, Christianity, where all I need to do is say a few words and join the family, I pray now that you throw that garbage out the window and that you deny yourself, that you give it all to the Lord, that you be transformed complete and totally so that when you go to work, you're a new person. When you go to school, you're a new person. When you go, when you're washing the dishes, you're a new person. Because you're doing now all these things, not for some other reason, but for the glory of our soon coming king. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father and the Holy Angels. What do we have to be ashamed of? How dare we be ashamed of Jesus? How dare we be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? when we were out there doing all the muck and mire that we were getting into and tipping out of this place and tipping into that place, we didn't have any shame. But then you now call yourself a, a, a Christian and now you are some sort of undercover Christian where you don't want anybody to know that you're a Christian. You, you hear the people putting down the Lord as you are, are standing in the break room, but you just kind of walk on by. Because you're ashamed of our risen Savior? He makes it very clear in the text here that if you are ashamed of him in this adulterous generation, this world that's so fickle, they can't make up their mind what's in or out anyhow. But you're so concerned about being on the in that you're going to be ashamed of our risen Savior when next week this might be in. You have to know who you are and what you believe. And there would be no question of who you are and what you believe if you had been completely transformed, if you'd completely denied yourself, if you'd completely taken up your cross. There's no denying any person who's ever been through United States Army basic training. There's no denying that. That person is a soldier through and through.
They don't get to turn it off and put it down and act. I, I can do my best. I've been in places, not in uniform or anything, and just walking around. They say, hey, were you in the military? How'd you know? Because I've been transformed. And when I met the Lord, I was transformed too. I took on that cross the same way that the army made me take on a cross and put me through some pain and suffering and made me give all to be a soldier. How much more should you give to join the family of faith? There is a cost. There is a cost to be paid to discipleship. If you would turn with me over to Luke chapter 14. We're going to begin at verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned. I'm sorry, I still hear pages flipping. I'll wait. It's important. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet, is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. So all of this is a very heavy, 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 heavy message. He's, he opens us up greatly with this message. But then he comes back and he gives us that hope that you're not doing this for nothing. You're not denying yourself for nothing. You are not killing yourself, crucifying your flesh daily, as Luke says. Luke adds that the word daily, taking up your cross. You're not doing this for no reason, but he says there is a coming Savior. And he says in 9-1 in that some that were hearing this message right here, right now, would not die before seeing the glory of the coming kingdom. Now, this is great for us because we can, we can translate this over into the 21st century because we have a Savior that's on his way back any day now. 
And any of us in this room right now can hear these same words right now. There are some in this room that may not see death before they see the kingdom. So there's a cost to be bare, but it's, it's born for the coming kingdom that you may reign in glory with our heavenly father. Now, some of us here, this is all strange to you because you don't know this man, Jesus. You may have never heard about this man, Jesus. The fully God, fully man, Jesus, that lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for the remission of our sins, but not just died, was buried, and got up three days later with all power and glory, not for his own accord, but for you. You may not have heard that before. So I'm here to present that to you. That the Lord is calling to you right now. It's not a fickle call. It's not an easy call. He's literally saying, come to me and die. That's the call to discipleship. Come unto me Come unto me and give up all. 